Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? I am good. Uh, it's uh, we're we're really kind of coming up on the holiday season, aren't we? Well, it's barreling down upon us, that's for sure. Barreling down upon us. Well, as uh, as holidays are a time of tradition, uh, we're starting to form one ourselves, and that is uh, interviewing uh, Jack Benyon around the new year. And the, our first guest to to have on three times. He's uh, he's here to answer a few questions. Well, look forward to it. It's always fun uh, fun time having Jack on the show. It is. It is. So without further ado, um, interview with Jack Benyon. Curb for the third time running. Jack Benyon. It's almost like a, an, a becoming an annual thing. Is that no, a good it, thing or a bad thing? Good for us. I don't know about Jack, but it's good for us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that as a, a massive compliment. It's lovely to be invited back again and to join you guys. And yeah, looking forward to getting our teeth into a, a pretty tasty 2022 IndyCar season. There was a lone tweet this morning from Tony Donahue and David Land that Michael Cannon was leaving CGR to go to H.A. Foyt Racing. Do you know anything about that? <laughs> uh, I can't say for definite whether that's happening or not. I've heard the same rumors that everybody else has. The last I checked, uh, I didn't think it was too likely. If the reason for going to Foyt is because, you know, he wants to be um, working from home focused or, or working from the factory focused as opposed to, to being at the track. I mean, that seems like something... Ganassi has already kind of factored in for him if he if he wants it. And and for me, there would be absolutely no reason to go and join Foyt when you're at Ganassi. Foyt have got a great kind of family atmosphere going in their team. But in terms of, you know, organisation, achievement, success, you know, there's not even any comparison between the two teams. So if that does happen, that'll be a very surprising move. The last time I kind of delved into this, um, you know, I didn't really think Mike was going to be on the move. But obviously, uh, you hear all the rumours and... Um, yeah, we'll we'll just have to wait and see on that one. <laughs> when Marshall Pruitt's got a story, that's when we know it's happening. Who's Marshall Pruitt? <laughs> the the god of IndyCar journalism. Mm, just ask him. Um, I must have missed that. How how was your trip to American General and and uh, and your interaction there in particular? Yeah, great time. Uh, really enjoyed St. Pete was my uh, first trip last season. Really enjoyed being there for the for the season opener. I thought that event was was really good. Obviously, it's hard for me to to kind of talk too much about previous events and, and what might have been happening at previous events. But it seemed like, you know, the St. Pete event was really welcomed by the local community and the, the mayor was at the, the unveiling and, you know, they hoisted a flag and all that kind of stuff. We enjoyed seeing IndyCar street racing up close and personal because for me, since I was a kid, it's been one of the kind of most exciting forms of motorsport is car or or IndyCar on a on a street circuit you know thinking of some of the heroics you remember Alex and Ardy doing back in the day or, or something like that um you know it really um it's really nice to see it up close and personal and, and see how impressive these guys are obviously the 500 kind of speaks for itself to a certain extent but also we could also talk about it for the next five hours if you wanted to because uh, that was some experience I've got to say I know you guys are there and we weren't able to to hook up in the end due to my mostly due to my uh, poor organization and and being generally overwhelmed by the size of the event and having to get to the to the actual race day on on the Sunday at like 4 a.m. Or, or whatever it was when I actually uh, arrived at the track. So so that was an interesting experience to actually take in the the atmosphere of the 500. And then Road America was the 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 trip you kind of mentioned there where I got to spend a, a couple of days with Marshall Pruitt going out trackside and um, he was taking some pictures and I was kind of watching. Well, he was obviously watching as well, but also taking some pictures. But I was kind of there to 
to to kind of see one of what I think is one of the best IndyCar tracks for varying driving styles, seeing, you know, who's, especially in practice, you see some really different corner angles there at lots of different corners around that track. It, it really tests the drivers, lots of different challenges for them there. So it was really interesting to get out and actually see some of the stuff that you can't watch just by, you know, sitting at home and, and watching on the TV. It was, And it's also a good kind of marker for, for where the teams are at as well with their development and you know you have to be careful kind of isolating corners when you're kind of making generalizations about teams and drivers and, and how good they are but you can you can see the way cars are operating in terms of like the damping and the suspension and stuff you can you can kind of see where some teams have have got it right in certain areas and where some teams uh, are struggling in certain areas so oh uh, you picked uh you picked at least two of the best yeah man cheese curds what's yeah. what's better than cheese curds like <laughs> it's the, literally the best thing i've experienced in in the whole uh three years of working on indycar for the races tasting cheese curds at road americas it's such yeah. a cool atmosphere there right i mean it's i think it's one of the coolest uh races to go indycar races to go to so yeah iowa as well i should mention as well i, I was also there that was really cool to see um you just don't really see a lot of like elite level short oval racing in europe you know to go to iowa and and, and to be there the first year of kind of high v's involvement was really cool because with the with the ticket prices going up so much for for next season it's going to be really interesting to see whether they keep that kind of core fan base the event they did put on this year was fantastic one of the recent articles i read uh you know the high v people came out and said they expected a sellout that was curb i think you sent that to me I want to say it was I want to say it was Monster's article maybe, but uh, okay, it was somebody's. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we we don't credit journalists, Jack. So, <laughs> but, but uh, at the end of the day, the the quote was there that they were expecting a sellout for an IndyCar, you know, your quote unquote typical IndyCar fan. It doesn't seem like a good fit to triple the prices, make it very expensive to go to the race. But I think what it seems to me is it's like you know a concert series with a race kind of thrown in between it seems to be the the direction they're taking i i actually don't have a huge problem with that because i think indycar is at a point where they have to try some new stuff yeah i think the the price rise is too much personally i think you raised um, some good points there definitely and i think for me so we have this kind of underlying kind of shouted about problem right that indycar doesn't market itself market it itself well enough and you have a, a grid full of drivers all complaining that their, you know, their product is one of the best in the world and they're, you know, some of the best drivers in the world and that their championship is not as popular as it should be or it's not as popular as Formula One or all these kind of things. And to me, it's a bit like, you know, man shouts at cloud. The kind of sweeping generalization of IndyCar doesn't market itself well enough is not really fair because there's a lot of elements to that that are not necessarily inside the, the championship's control. I think one of the biggest ways that IndyCar can promote itself better is to have a more uniform way of promoting events. So whether that's taking the actual, you know, hosting of the events into an in-house team, like they've done with something like Iowa, for example, where, you know, the tickets are hand order at IMS, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the event is run by Penske Entertainment effectively or, and that way you control the level of marketing each event does. Dism of Texas, for example, where I remember Jenna Fryer describing uh, the race last year as being like a tire test in terms of the atmosphere that it brought and the, the the kind of levels of attendance. And I know that event is another one where IndyCar is working hard to to work with the organisers to try and bring some of that in house. So for me, the the best way to market events and improve the way events are marketed is to have a blueprint for how you want that event marketed um, because IndyCar is a brand as as a championship and they should not be handing 
its own events over to other people to market those events in a way that has not been that, that doesn't meet the kind of the broadsheet that the IndyCar should be going with and, and the brand that they're trying to get across. So and having concert style events like Iowa, concert events like Iowa are a great opportunity to get people to events. And I think it's a great idea. I'm really happy to see. I just wonder if we can do a better job of catering to both sides of that audience. So there's going to be a lot of people in, you know, near newton in iowa who have been into those hivy stores they've seen jack harvey um they've seen you know all of the branding around the event and it's been marketed really well and their tickets are you know let's say for argument sake 140 bucks or something for the weekend and they'll 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 maybe give it a go and then i think instead of raising then raising the price to 700 dollars immediately for the next season they could have done three four five events to, to kind of measure the interest of the the local population are they the kind of audience who are going to come year after year are they people who are going to be loyal to the event in terms of renewing their tickets like people then you start to put the prices up and raise expectations and increase uh, the drama of the event by adding all of these extra things but at the minute i think you know is there a way you could have a ticket where people just go in for the indycar race and then they don't have a ticket to go to the concert or I know that kind of thing is logistically really difficult to me. I Newton, Iowa is not a place where I, I'm expecting thousands and thousands of fans from North America to fly in from various different cities to come to a race. It's a little bit F1 in Vegas or F1 in Miami, isn't it? And I'm not sure that that is going to pay off in the way that they, they want it to. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly see that angle of it and I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to disagree with you. I guess we're going to find out is, is the short answer, right? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find out when who, whoever shows up. It's it's part of a kind of a curious string of marketing. I won't call them missteps, but uh, marketing curiosities. And, uh, you know, I went to went to Indy, but I also went to the St. Louis race this year. And it's amazing to me the tire test uh, comment that you put with Jennifer Fryer. That's not a bad one. Uh, to apply to that one as well and they had some challenges with weather and so forth but you know that event started out so strong and it seems like they're doing almost everything they can to just tear it down and i know that's not promoted by indycar but i i don't understand why they haven't been more supportive of of like for example that race i'm scratching my head and i know there's a lot of people out there doing the same indycar may not be marketing it but it seems like they get jerked around by TV slots in particular. Date changes all the time. The time of day they show the race changes all the time. It was very popular when it was a Saturday night race. I think they get a big drive-in crowd from Indianapolis. But now the way they keep Sunday is a Saturday afternoon race. Sunday it's a Sunday late afternoon race. It's just Roger Penske talks a lot about date equity, but they just seem to jerk that particular race around all the time. You know, that event is is one that has struggled in terms of the on-track product, which makes it one of the rarer kind of races in IndyCar where you know, it's not necessarily always been the, you know, the most exciting spectacle because of the, you know, just trying to pass there is extremely difficult. And some of the races have been, you know, quite, quite bland. I think some people might, might say, but I think in recent years, they've definitely picked up and, and been a lot better. And yes, yeah, that's a, that race is an interesting one. All of this comes back to the whole, how harshly do you judge Penske Entertainment's kind of run? You can be ultra critical and say, not enough has changed since they've come in and that they should have done more with the marketing side. They should be actively trying to 
push the championship to more people and increase its popularity and make it more technologically relevant to manufacturers and it should have brought in a third manufacturer by now if Roger Penske can't do it who can I know it's a for a kind of cynical journalist it's kind of like a bit of a soft opinion to have but I just from what I have seen covering this championship I don't think this championship would have survived without Roger Penske after Covid so the secondary kind of argument to that becomes so how long are we going to you know not criticise them as harshly as we maybe would if they'd have been in charge of the championship for a long time because of what they did under Covid so I feel like things can go two different ways from here I think like 2023 there's there's nothing big changing next year basically that could upset the apple cart in terms of the the, the actual on-track product or or anything like that so this is a really good opportunity now you know Penske's had some time to settle in to, to analyze the weaknesses of the series to try to understand where it has been falling down on the marketing side and, and where it could be better in terms of events the, the championship itself you know it's had plenty of time to do that now so I am hoping you know 2023 is going to be a, a bigger one for the championship and but most of the noises that are coming out seem to be you know that they're trying to do the right things you know investing more in marketing people sometimes like compare NASCAR and IndyCar and like you look at NASCAR and they've got like 30 people doing social media alone and you know I don't know that number I'm just uh, pulling that out of the air but there's a lot of people who work on NASCAR social media for example and you know IndyCar is such a a small close-knit group of people who um, are responsible for, for kind of marketing promoting dealing with the media all that kind of stuff very small team anyone who works in IndyCar will know how small that that team really is there's got to be investment there in the future if the championship does want to grow they need to they need to have more people on the ground they need to have more people there to help the current people who are in place because there's nothing wrong with you know any of the people that I've met who who work on that side of things for for IndyCar it's it's more you know they're all pulled in you know so many different directions and you know, I'm not saying anything controversial or new there. I think everyone who, who has worked in the championship will will know that. So I think there's got to be investment there. The pandemic has obviously slowed a lot of that down for 2023. They seem to be making the right noises. There's people who've come in already. There's people who might be coming in. There's people who they're trying to bring in. And, you know, this is where it all happens now in the off season. I just hope they'll take this opportunity where IndyCar is such a popular product, you know, especially outside of North America. I think at the moment it's having a real kind of uh, renaissance with all of the the drivers from outside of North America who have, who have been popular or, or successful in the championship. I think there's been a, a real kind of boost in, in recent years. And I think people accept how good the, the product is. As, as IndyCar has proven, you can have the best on-track product in the world, but it doesn't always, you know, that doesn't always equal immediate success or, or massive success. You know, you have to surround it with the right elements of, of marketing and support. To that end, how much interaction did you have with the outgoing marketing chief? Yeah, SJ, uh, I spoke to quite regularly. Um, if that's who you refer, I guess that's yes, who you refer to. Yes, SJ. SJ yeah, Luke, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, had um had a fair bit of experience meeting her at the events and stuff that that we were at uh, last year, and, and spoke to her by email quite a lot as well before that. You know, felt like she did a good job. But again, another person who I felt like just watching from the outside. I mean, that she was always um, you know, rushed off her feet and and especially on events like trying to do. You know so many things at once I, I wish her all the best for for her endeavors in the future i'm sure she's she's um you know going to be very successful but I, I i can only comment from what i've seen from the outside and they i really want to sit here as a cynical journalist now and say they're all horrible and they all do a terrible job but actually the, you know all of the people i you know got to meet this year and, and have worked with at indycar so passionate and just really generally they really want it to be a success they they live and breathe it every minute of every day and i I guess they've had some time to to have a look at things and 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 hopefully they'll make that decision to to invest the the on-track product is so good that if you're going to 
continue to grow it, the only way to do that is by investing in, in the team behind the championship. And There seems to be two schools of thought here. One is that uh, the rising popularity of Formula One and a bit of a resurgence here from NASCAR, you know, the rising tide will raise all boats. And the other is um, these guys are out to get you, and, and it's their goal to grind IndyCar into the ground and, and make it run. <laughs> so wh- where, how do you see it? I don't think it's any of the other championships goals to grind IndyCar into the ground. I think they're all too busy to worry too much about that. I, I think they want IndyCar sponsors, and I think they want IndyCar's eyeballs. You know, I just think IndyCar's a little complacent right now about the uh, growth of uh, Formula One in America. There might be a case with that. I mean, obviously, it's all down to your personal opinion and, and what you think, isn't it? I think there's definitely, you know, any championship would say we need more sponsors, don't, wouldn't they? And any team, any driver would say we need more sponsors, we need more sponsors, we need more cash. The rise in tide raises all boats is kind of a sweeping term that probably implies uh, that IndyCar is going to get some sort of massive boost by F1 being popular in America. And I, I don't personally think that that's the case. Although I think there will be, I think there is and will be a boost. I still think that people who watch Formula One, whether that's through Drive to Survive or whether they you know watch the races, I think they'll be thirsty for more motorsport. I haven't seen that. And especially people in America who watch Drive to Survive, who watch Formula One, you know, surely they would be interested to know that they've got their own single seater championship, open wheel championship competing in North America. I don't think there's going to be too many people who are suddenly converted into like, I'm going to watch every single IndyCar race, all 17 races. But most of the problem I find with, if you're talking about getting new people into a sport, is that like, how do they find it? And with IndyCar, they're not spending huge amounts on marketing. They haven't until now, obviously, with this new uh, 100 Days to Indie thing, the, the documentary that's coming out, before that, they hadn't had something like Drive to Survive. And they they don't have the budget to go and do massive amounts of marketing. So how are they going to bring new people into the sport? How do they do that? For me, the levels of competition, you're talking about two different things when you're talking about people attending events and people watching on TV. For example, Vegas or Miami, you know, the ticket prices are beyond most normal working people like they are not going to be able to afford a ticket to go to these events and in my opinion from everyone who i spoke to who came back from from miami or uh, who attended that event it's not meant to be catered towards you know people who you know the basically you know normal working <clears throat> class people it's it's supposed to be an aspirational event where you've got all the celebrities there you've got the big businesses there you know the the huge amounts for the ticket prices that you get whereas you know, someone who's watched Drive to Survive hopefully will come across something like IndyCar can, you know, look that up and see how the how, how good value the, the tickets are for IndyCar events. And hopefully that encourages them to travel to their local event or the one that's nearest to them. I think the main argument behind this is how do you get new people into a sport? And IndyCar are not going to, or a championship in IndyCar's case, and they do not have, in my opinion, the budget or the ability to market IndyCar suddenly to thousands or hundreds of thousands of new people whereas Formula One does have those numbers and does open the door to people hopefully like it motorsport and I'm not I think I'm in the the high tide raises all boats kind of side of the argument I think it's a good thing I don't think F1's coming in and stealing people away from IndyCar I don't think it's stolen any sponsors yet from from what I can gather I think there's a few sponsors that have diversified that's a very um 
complicated uh, and meandering answer to that question but I think it's a complicated and meandering subject that you could, it's, you know, it's very difficult to nail down on sure you mentioned the the upcoming series the 100 years the 100 100 years 100 uh, days <laughs> in the, um, thing uh, on the you know being done by the uh, vice channel in conjunction with yeah. somebody you're you're a younger uh, and now we've established a less cynical uh, human being. Um, <laughs> what do you what do you make of 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 that? Uh, you uh, you touched on it, but uh, just to kind of elaborate on that, I mean, do you think that that's the right move? There seem to be going after uh, a younger demographic. Is that is what they need to do? I think they've so C C W. I think is an interesting one because the demographic is not particularly young in that one. If I'm if I'm right, correct. that's correct. Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to get into homes there, aren't they? And um, you know, kind of exploit some some sponsorship out of that, I think. Um, and kind of yeah, basically open the door to a, a new audience who wouldn't necessarily have seen IndyCar before in a similar way that Drive to Survive might, except not on Netflix. So uh, I think that's wise. I think going for a younger audience, you know, every championship has to try and do that. Uh, I kind of like where they're going with it, and that they've gone with. You know, maybe it's not the obvious choice, and I've seen a lot of people complaining about it and all that kind of stuff. But I think they're, I think they're marketing it to a new audience, aren't they? From what I can see, you know, from what I can establish from where the documentary is going to be, and you know, obviously having to do extra research personally because I'm not necessarily always, you know, super in tune with some of the the channels and the dem- the demographics and stuff like that, as you probably just worked out. The right thing to do because there's no point doing a hundred days to indie documentary and then marketing it to a load of IndyCar fans because that's not actually that's not what they're trying to do with it so the the bigger thing for me is getting this documentary right in terms of the product and what it actually looks like and how it's delivered this is a big opportunity and sometimes you only get one of these opportunities this is why I think the first season of Drive to Survive you know they really hit on something good it was a good format they produced it very well it looked great they don't break my cardinal rule of motorsport on a TV as much as some of the series, which is that the sound never matches what's actually going on on track, which really, really annoys me, guys. Like if, if I if I had a motorsport 101, like a box out to put something I hate in most, it would be sound not matching what's going on on screen. Because I'm watching that and like they're doing the hairpin at Monaco and they're in like fifth gear and the, the car's like revving at 18,000 RPM or something. It's like, nope, that's wrong. You know, the reason that was so successful is it didn't take three seasons to get that product right. I'm not I'm I'm less bothered let's say about the the channels and where it's going it looks like that seems perfectly logical to me from what I can see from the outside I'm more worried about making sure that this you know this product is going to be good it's going to hit it out of the park first time if we get the you know if the first season kind of misses it's not it's not as good as it probably should be and that's going to be a a difficult repeat for them to do again it's going to be interesting to watch for sure I think that's a great point I mean it does the quality has to be there um yeah or it's going to be and by, by way of example, I was going through uh, uh, the channels the other night, and uh, uh, Roku TV Curb had a Weird Al Yankovic documentary on. So okay. Jack probably doesn't even know who that is. But anyway. I know who Weird Al is. Okay. So there was a – Weird, univer- like, Weird Al's universal. Come on. Re- re- yeah, of course. Um <laughs> Well, my son didn't know who he was. <laughs> so about a third <laughs> that, that of the way through re- the documentary, he's like, who is this guy? I think that reflects more on your parenting. <laughs> it could be. It could be. But um, <laughs> And I think it says good things about it, actually. But the <laughs> the, the thing of it is, it was it was horrid, right? And uh, you know, it, was, it, it seemed like it was cheap, you know, like cheaply done. And, and just couldn't, couldn't watch the whole thing because it was just kind of too cheap. And, you know, it wasn't like it had like, 
nobody in it. They had the the guy who was Harry Potter. He was like the star of it. He was Weird Al. And, you know, I mean, I don't know what that guy's doing for work these days. Obviously not too much. But at the end of the day, um, it was so bad. And, and, I, and when you were talking about if it's bad, it, that's what came to my mind. It's like, you're right. If it comes across as like cheap and and not compelling in any way and the production values are low, it, they're just it's going to just destroy it. But didn't, didn't Weird Al produce that? document or like like mockumentary in inverted commas like correct i mean i don't know if he did but it would it wouldn't surprise me at all uh yeah so if so if roger penske is producing 100 days to indy and i think we all need to worry pretty pretty hard no no offense to roger obviously but i don't think uh producing mockumentaries uh is is in his arsenal of skill but uh yeah i think otherwise um you know it seems like i don't know much about the team you know that hopefully they're focused on making sure that it's you know this is the right time to do this 2023 is the time where they can make the right investment in it they've got the right people behind it and they deliver a really good product because that's what running out of time here uh curb did you have any uh stuff you want to throw in till we get to uh jack's predictions for next year which we can all go to the bank and uh borrow money to bet on (laughs) Uh, jack start off thinking we're going to talk about the 2022 season is there any Storylines from 2022, Jack, that you wanted to highlight. Where, where do we even go with that? I mean, I mentioned mentioned Alex Blow already. That was already like one of the weirdest and, you know, as a journalist, fantastic stories ever to happen in motorsport. Um, I think may, maybe not under the radar, but a little bit more of a kind of off-piste one. And it's definitely the emergence of Scott McLaughlin and how phenomenal he was in his just his second season and. I mean, we're talking about a guy who scored more points on road courses than anybody else in the series in his second season. I don't think anyone was expecting Jimmy Johnson to come in and, and win races or, you know, be in the top five or the top ten on, on road courses necessarily. But I think he showed just how difficult it can be to get up to speed, given um, I think he's a good example. It's not really fair to kind of compare them off against each, off against each other because they're obviously at massively different points in their career. But for, for me, you know, Scott now goes into 2023 as a, you know, a title contender he has to be you can't you know we can't say that he is anything else other than a title contender now and that you know people sure. will say he should he should be because he's at Penske but you know for someone going into their third year of of you know a proper open wheel racing if Scott McLaughlin can come in and win win as many races as he did last year and basically be the best driver on road courses then you know that's a pretty big gauntlet to lay down in my opinion so I'm really looking forward to seeing how he gets on next year and copes with that expectation because that's going to be something new for him is coming into an IndyCar season where he is going to be labeled a favorite and he is going to be someone who's expected to fight for the championship. So let's, uh, let's see how he deals with that pressure. Last year when you were on, we talked about, um, I think another under the radar story here, but Kyle Kirkwood and the risk he was taking signing up with the Foyt team last year, looking in the rearview mirror. Now, do you think that Kirkwood took a bigger risk with Foyt or Foyt took a bigger risk with Kirkwood? It's a difficult one, isn't it? I definitely thought, Kyle would have a better season than he did. I think Kyle was probably guilty of trying a little bit too hard in places. There was some flashes of, of speed, but for me, you know, he didn't he didn't do enough to satisfy getting an Andretti seat. But then that's like where do you where do you rank an Andretti seat now? It's been so long since they've won a championship. You know, we saw what happened at Mid Ohio. It's, it's very clear that the team is not performing at a level of a Ganassi or a Penske or or even an Aaron McLaren SP now. I think I think he was quite lucky to have probably had that deal sewn up you know, really early to, to go to Andretti and, and get that seat. And he's definitely going to be better off there than he is at Foyt. It's a, it's a difficult one. I think Callum Eilat was in a similar situation to him 
and Callum probably made you know a few mistakes in in a similar way to to Kyle and it's difficult to judge these young guys who are you know thrown in the spotlight like this in in teams that aren't as good as the competition you're already looking at beating like 13 guys just across the top like three or four teams in the series so you know it's fine in F1 where people talk about you know Mercedes Red Bull Ferrari and if you're if you're like the best of the rest and that's a you know that's a big achievement but you're finishing like fifth or sixth in that scenario and in IndyCar you've got you know the, those big teams you've got three or four teams but you know they, they they've got more cars and you're looking at you know you're looking at 13th 14th for, for for where those cars are you know theoretically should be on speed well he, he threw a lot of crash damage away and cost Floyd I'm sure he cost Floyd a lot more money than Callum Mylock cost uh, Ricardo Uncos. oh yeah definitely that's for sure that's definitely yeah. for sure uh, one last thing on 2022, um, you were skeptical of Will Power's ability to be consistent uh, enough to stay in a championship, but uh, what do you think of his season? Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I mean, what can you say about, about Power's season? It was it was the epitome of consistency, wasn't it? I mean, you know, he's got two teammates there at Penske. One of them won five races and one of them won three races. And, you know, he's the one who wins the championship with one race win. So, that tells you everything you need to know about how consistent he was and and the level of performance that he was he was able to deliver. I still feel like a lot of things happened around him that that helped him to get to where he was. I mean, you know, the 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 Ganassi struggles with with Polo and even Dixon's team like being quite you know it, you know personnel moving around through the season and and some silly errors there you just never see out of the nine team when it comes to setups or. Or stuff like that was was really surprising. And then you had, obviously, McLaughlin had that little kind of mid-season wobble where he made too many errors, and there was you know there was a lot going on there. And then Newgarden, obviously, his team was just in basically to- total disarray like weeks before the season started. Um, uh, and who else have we got? Yeah, I think I genuinely think Pato Award would have been right in the championship hunt if he hadn't had those those two mechanicals at, at Mid Ohio and uh, Road America. And then he had the little incident with with power where he got caught up in that concertina at Nashville where he was a bit unfortunate to be caught out by that. And if you consider those kind of three races, he'd have been right there at the front. McLaughlin well, as well. You can consider his Indy 500 as well. I mean, he would have been in the top 10 and that door points there would have made a big difference to his championship. Obviously power definitely benefited from his competitors having poor Indy 500 results. Yeah, that's for sure. And, but saying all that, you know, power can only beat what's in front of him. And um, for, yeah. for me, the most amazing part of, of all of this is the years apart from his from his first win to his second and for someone to reinvent themselves so significantly is just so rare in motorsport you just don't see someone win a championship like he did you know spend so long fighting for a second one and then just kind of in in the space of an off season just totally reinvent how he goes racing the the thought processes the 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 kind of mental attitude he has towards his job as a racing driver just totally kind of reinvented himself for anyone to do that at his age and his you know peak of his you know kind of career now is is absolutely phenomenal and it's easy to see when you speak to some of the guys around him like Dave Faustino his engineer he, he was telling me about how um he and he and Will were discussing setups on uh Will's wedding day and even in the in Vitrilane at Laguna Seca 
you know, Will was already talking about how they could have improved in that race and how they can, you know, tweak the the setup for for next season and different things they can do for for the next time they go, they go to Laguna Seca while on the podium, about to lift the IndyCar Trophy after having won the championship that season. So the thirst for improvement, you know, it's pheno- it's phenomenal. I'll be the first one to hold my hands up and say that I didn't think Will Power would win another championship, but yeah, the the way the way he attacked this season, the 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 kind of reinvention of of Will Power has been absolutely phenomenal, and he's deserved his uh, he's deserved his reward for it. All right, well we're almost out of time, so we gotta get it from you, Jack. Um, who is the Indy 500 winner next year? I can't believe you're not even gonna ask me about engines. <laughs> this is this is this uh, is great. I've escaped here. This is well, fantastic. We have a we have a hard we have a hard time limit here for you, so we don't want to. Yeah, and I, time. I, you know, I think we went through it uh, ad nauseum. I, I, you brought yeah. it up, so let's bring it up real quick. I think curbs are my concern. Speaking for you, curb, is that it, it, nobody cares about the engine itself and what the you know what the what the ultimate configuration of it is. But we're worried that Chevy and and Honda are going to have the shits with IndyCar over the whole thing. I think that's a valid concern to have, to be honest. I think the way this has all played out has not been fantastic for, for anyone involved. But when it comes to manufacturers, we know how they they can be fickle. That's not fair to call Chevrolet or Honda fickle based on the support that they've given to the IndyCar series for so long now. They've been fantastic uh, suppliers. And they've also you know, taken massive losses with engi- every engine lease that they give out in the IndyCar series. So I think they should be applauded for, for what they've done and what you know what they've brought to the IndyCar series if they both decided that they were going to pull out from 2025 now I would I would not be mad at Honda and Chevy for for the level of support they've given and, and what they've actually done it would you know from a business as- business aspect I can, I can understand it I don't think that's going to happen I think they're both committed but to me it raises a bigger ideological question about IndyCar which I won't go into too long about because I know we're uh, tight for time here but for me it's it's about what what does IndyCar see itself as you know, as a championship, is it an entertainment championship? Because it, if it is, then make the rules as simple as possible and give the manufacturers just enough sort of relevance in terms of the technology to make it worthwhile for them. Bring the costs down. You know, that'll improve you know things for, for all the teams and for the manufacturers and put that, you know, put more into the marketing side of things and, and try to, to drum up the championship. But if you're still one of these people who thinks that IndyCar is you know, a bastion of technical achievement, then I would suggest looking at how long the current engine and chassis has been in use for and that the boat may have sailed for that to be a thing for the championship. I think it needs to it needs to focus on being an entertainment championship. And that's not a negative thing. That doesn't mean there can't be any technical innovation at all. But motorsports changed. It's not it's not like that anymore. There's not that level of technical innovation. And I don't think it would be too much of a change to simplify the series a little bit in terms of the actual engineering aspect of whether it's the engines or whether it's actual cars themselves. And I know a lot of older fans will hate me for saying that, and they're probably going to go and throw dartboards at a Jack Benyon-shaped wall, um, but but I'm okay with it. I think to succeed, IndyCar needs to continue doing what it has been doing recently by happenstance of having this technology for so long that it's kind of evened the field out. And that's make it as entertaining as possible and sell that as best as possible. Yeah, hard to argue with that. Uh, you, there's no way they, they can keep up on the, you know, be uh, be on the forefront of technology front. And uh, there's clearly no appetite for it uh, uh, on their part either. 
Absolutely. Let's get into some predictions then. All right. Um, okay. 500. Scott Dixon. Curb. Uh, New Garden. Ooh. Uh, interesting. I'm going with Jack. Scott Dixon. Oh, wow. Two for Dixon. Two for Dixon. He can't, he can't, he can't finish his career with one Indy 500 win, guys, can he? That just can't be a thing. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to give up next year, but uh, I think he's got, I think he's got like three to five years for sure of continual competition. So there's plenty of time for him to win a few more, but I I just, I can't, he's come so close and to see it, how heartbreaking it was last year, I think, I, I think seeing what's happened to him, how many times it's been taken away from him and then, Obviously, last year with the mistake, I think it'd be a, a big story to see him win another one. Kerb thinks he's smug, and that's what brings him down. I think Mike Hull's smug, and that's what brings him down. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Team smugness. Okay, right. uh, championship. Oh, that is a good one. I'm going to go New Garden for the championship. Kerb? Um. Well, I, I would always say New Garden, but I'll go with uh, McLaughlin this time. Uh, I'm going to go with Jack, New Garden. That's a, that's a Penske winning the Indy 500 and the championship for Kirby there. Uh, good point. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I can't believe Penske will be that bad three or four years in a row. Um, I think they're going to get their program in order, and I think that uh, like New Garden's do. He has been the class of the. I don't think there's much arguing. He's been the class of the field for the last five years, right? I agree. Or, New right? Garden. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah. Both him and Dixon made a few mistakes in 2022, in my opinion, kind of a little bit more than normal, um, uh, particularly on Dixon's part, I think. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's always the guy is like should win it and just has only done it once, you know, but I mean, he, he could have five. Well, he's by got now. two. He's got two, but oh, um, he's got two. Sorry. But he could have five by now. He could have five in a row. I mean, he yes. just, he yeah. could have, should have, I'm sure Dixon could make a case how he could have won them all too. But I just think new garden is he and he and Dixon are one a and one B in my mind. But you chose McLaughlin. Yeah. Well, I was trying to, I was trying not to choose the same. <laughs> okay. Well, that's three for new garden. It sounds like to me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Jack, I know you got to go and we're right on time. So, uh, again, thank you for taking the career risk by actually speaking to us. I know uh, it's not without uh, without some trepidation that you must do it. But uh, uh, thanks again for your time and insight. It was uh, always great. No, it's always a lot of fun to, to join you guys. And hopefully we'll uh, we'll do it again this time next year. And, uh, yeah, either Scott McLaughlin or Joseph Newgarden will have won the championship. And we'll have an interesting 500 as well with a bit of luck. Yeah. Uh, don't rule. Don't rule willpower out again. I'm telling you, don't do it. <laughs> uh, I, All right. Thanks, thank Jack. You, thank you, Jack. Thanks, thanks, Jack. Take care. Thanks. Okay, Curb. Um, I think we covered a fair amount of ground there, don't don't you? Jack has insights on all sorts of things, IndyCar related, and uh, always fun to have him on the show. It was a, a good time as always. Yeah, and I think it's good to have uh, youthful optimism somewhat uh, bouncing out our. Uh, aged cynicism well that's that's probably true because um, jack certainly is <laughs> a glass half full guy uh at least he was in the in the conversation today well some, somebody needs to be that's yeah, true yeah. that's true so yeah it's a it's a good offset uh to us so curb uh twitter at hero indycar 
Yep. Uh, that's H-I-R-O IndyCar, at Hero IndyCar. And sponsors, final one for the year. South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts. Mention this podcast to the owner, Saul, and you will get a generous discount just in time for the holidays. And thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good holiday. Yeah, I think we're done for the year, so a good holiday and Happy New Year and all that stuff. All right. Take care. Merry Christmas.